Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my accomplished, my partner in crime, Brock Landis. Brock, how are you tonight? I'm fine, man. Uh, school's over for me, so I have a new itch, and my attention span is not large enough for me to pay attention to movies or get into a show, so I've gone down a comedy rabbit hole. I've been watching stand-up comedy. I just started. I'm not sure if you're a fan of any uh, oh, comedians I that I, I love stand up. I, I assumed I assumed you were that type of uh, that type of person. So I'll take your recommendations. But I watched Eddie Murphy's Delirious. I haven't watched Raw yet. I heard uh, Raw was one I had to watch, but I saw Eddie Murphy's Delirious and I've been watching Bill Burr. I think I've seen four or five Bill Burr shows and that's it. So uh, I definitely need recommendations. If you have any, I'll take so, note. So I will say this. This is my like my comedy hot take. I don't think anything about Eddie Murphy is funny. I just don't find him really funny at all, whatsoever. Um, there are a couple of basic ones you got to hit up. You got to hit hit up Dave Chappelle because he's just so funny with like what he says is controversial. Mm-hmm. And even if like you're like even if like you're like I'm not sure this is funny, you laugh at how ridiculous it is that he's <laughs> saying it. <laughs> um, and then another guy I love is Gabriel Iglesias. I find him hilarious. I think Gabriel okay. is, is is the way that he like 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 I guess impersonates like random noises to illustrate his sketch or is just it's just tremendous. Um, and then another one that I think is underrated but it does a really good job, Dane Cook. I'm a big Dane Cook guy. Um, I haven't even heard of Cook. Oh, he's very funny. He is okay. like he's just very very funny. Um, so those are, those will be my three wrecks. I'm sure I'll have a bunch of people in, in the comment section on YouTube disagreeing with my. Uh, stand up take. Also, speaking of Eddie Murphy, if you haven't seen this movie already, coming to America, do not waste your time. Do not waste your time. Seriously, oh, that's a hot take. I oh, watched that in. What did I watch that in? I think junior year econ. I don't know why. I can't remember. It might have been junior year econ, but I did see coming to America. I thought it was hilarious. I didn't think anything about it was funny. Really, I was like, I I was watching it. I was watching it one night with my roommate. It was like 2 a.m. on a Friday. And by the end, I was like, why did we watch this? What, what, <laughs> what was the point of this movie? This movie was so not funny in any way. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Eddie Murphy was hilarious in uh, in Shrek. Like, that was like the one time I was like, okay, this is kind of funny. 
That's a cop out. It was just a voice, uh, a a voice for an animation. Things that he said were actually funny. And then, and then in Norbit, I thought he was pretty funny in Norbit. Haven't seen that. Norbit's a good is is one of the few hilarious Eddie Eddie Murphy movies. Beverly Hills Cop is not even a comedy. It's just more of like an action movie with it has try to have to have like some comedic, um, like some comedic elements by having Eddie Murphy act as the cop, but. It, I, I was not impressed by that movie either. Um, anyway, are you uh, are you still doing? Are you still playing two K? Of course, like clockwork. So my um, my my player has gotten to the point where he's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I remember a couple of episodes ago we were talking about that. Sounds like my guy is horrible. He can't play. Like it's hard. It's just it's painful to watch my 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 player. Um, struggle through like two of 18 shooting performances over and over again and then i got the and then i upgraded his attributes i stared up a bunch of uh coins and and uh in virtual currency upgraded him he's an 81 now and this man is averaging 30 plus and 10 assists per game and he's just knocking the lights out from deep you wait until you get more vc and upgrade these the attributes and, and equip some more badges it becomes way too easy. It doesn't even matter what difficulty you're playing on. You you just run through all of the competition. I think they did a good job with career in 2K. I don't watch any of the cutscenes. I'm I'm not sure if you do, but I do. I think it's funny sometimes when you have the option after a game and you do the interviews. Uh, when you see a fan and you can stop and sign the autograph or keep going, cool. or cool. if you go into the locker room when you're supposed to, you get teammate chemistry. If you stay out and sign, you lose chemistry, but you gain fans. I think. That whole element's cool. They did a really nice job in career. I, I had so much fun playing career. And I don't know what build you are, but I was a slashing playmaker. So I just cheesed. I, I went in a 2-3 zone on defense. I played no defense at all because my maximum badges is four on defense. So I played no defense at all. And as soon as a shot goes up, I'm cherry picking. I'm, I'm out of there. I'm past half court. I'm calling for the ball like crazy. And I have every flashy dunk package equip and that's one of the incentives for the deal you sign with like beats or nike if you do a flashy dunk you get some vc so on top of getting vc for the game and a good teammate grade and winning the game i get a ton of vc for the flashy dunks there's there's a ton Uh, are you a shooter i assume you're a shooter oh my god i started out the year like shooting 15 percent from three and now up to like 43 percent and I like surpassed Steph Curry for like the, the the record for most threes made in the season. Yeah, shooting shooting is fun, but when you're a low rank, a low overall, some of the opposing guards are just ferocious defensively. Like namely Markel Fultz and John Wall, they give a ton of fits in career for some reason. They're they're, they're stick like glue, uh, stuck like glue. You really have to work for your shot in two K. But I know if you do go in the corner and you call for a screen in the corner with the LB on your analog. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, the defense kind of glitches and they give you like three or four feet of space and I you could get like, off a ton of shots in the corner. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. I um, Green light. I, I have a problem against the Bucks. Like for whatever, I, I don't know why, but the Bucks always give me a fit with like how I play against them. I think one year I was like 13 of 37 or like 13 of 47 Jeez. against them. I think I shot 10 of 37 from three at that game. So I mean, I, I it was not one of my definitely not one of my best games, but um, there are certain teams where I'm just like I, I spaced the, I, I spaced the floor really well. I cut off ball 
incredibly well for like a slow guard. Mm-hmm. So I get like a lot of buckets at the rim just going just cutting off ball. But um, yeah, now that I'm pretty good as like a, as like a player, it's a lot more fun. And yeah. um, are you are you playing the rec at all? Yeah, I, I played rec, and luckily my whole group plays two K. So we went to the rec with our five, and and we. We had a lot of fun in rec. We play park now because that five is relegated to just three of my other friends play either Warzone or Fortnite, whatever's popular now for the first person shooting games. Gotcha. Uh, but I, I did play rec and I did play park. Still do rec play is, park. Rec is a pain in the ass because you have everyone so selfish. So it's like you, you barely get shots off. Mm-hmm. You barely get looks at all. And then you either win you either win by 40 or you lose by 40. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple people on, under the bus here, but um, – Harrison Grimm and Jack Connell, when I got on 2K, also downloaded 2K and started playing frequently. Now, they might have had the game before me, I'm not sure, but they started to play really frequently. Everybody was quarantined. It was the one thing to do as a basketball fan. So Duffy downloaded the game, Jack Duffy. He was grinding for his badges. He was grinding the increases overall, as was I. And I have a group that already played 2K, so I was dedicated and committed to that grind so I could go to the park and play with them. So for like a two, three-week span, Connell and Grimm were harassing me every single day to get on and play with them. I was in a Twitter group chat with them. They were harassing me. They were sending me like 15 invites on Xbox. They were messaging in the Twitter group chat. I had Connell FaceTiming me like three times a night. And and I, I felt bad because I never really answered them. And I should have said, like, guys, I don't want to play. But in the beginning, I told them, I was like, when the time is right, I will play with you guys. And the time was never right because they just left me with a really sour taste by how much they harassed me to get in the game. So long story short, I never played with them. Uh, wow. But they, they were trying to they were trying to play 2K a lot. That's 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 sad i think (laughs) but that's a story to tell so maybe if we all make it in the philadelphia media industry or the sports industry uh that's a story to tell who knows we'll have we'll have to do that at the uh at the guess like the uh, the luncheon when we all get our our awards for 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 best um anyway i think people probably are tired of hearing about our 2k endeavors um so we do have a press conference to discuss the the, uh, the Sixers of Elton Brand and uh, they they had a a, pre- a virtual press conference for the media to uh, a couple weeks couple days ago, as well as access to the uh, to the season ticket holders as well, and they did like, a Q and A for the season ticket holders. Um, really, it was just a chance to get updates on um, on 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 the team. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. I guess I guess you could expect it from a, from multi billionaires, but. Um, thought it was interesting that they said that they provided them with any kind of like workout equipment they might need. So mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm picturing like a bunch of Pelotons coming in the mail <laughs> or like, I'm like off of, off of like a truck and I'm, and I'm like, it's that's a lot of money. I mean, I have a Peloton and it's a lot of money. You have to pay a subscription fee. You have to pay for the bike, transport of the bike, all that stuff. So that, that, that and then multiply that by however many people you got in the team. That's, that's a good chunk of dough. I think it was like two to three ellipticals per player that didn't have the equipment. The team sent them the ellipticals and prior they sent like a stimulus package per se with basketballs and necessities you would need. So you don't have to leave your house. And of course, Jimmy Butler was in the news because he sent all of the Miami heat players, portable basketball nets. He sent all of them nets to use at their own personal homes. The thing 
that I thought was interesting though, was that not a lot of these players went to their original homes. They stayed in Philadelphia. Yeah. And there was a good point brought up on Philly voice by Kyle. It was, well, not in a first name basis with him, but I honestly don't know how to pronounce <laughs> his last name. So Newbeck. I'm going to spare that. Yeah. yeah Newbeck. Um, he, he brought up a good point on Philly voice that there's a difference between players that might live in the suburbs and players that might live in city high rises. And that could complicate a situation. And I didn't even think about that. And we're going to get into the potential practice facility, what they're going to do with Camden, maybe if they move to Delaware. But I didn't even think about that, like the proximity of where people live, uh, what they're surrounded by, how they can get out, their access to maybe a court or a gym, stuff like that. It's, it's just really like a, a mind-boggling situation that we're undergoing right now. For sure. And I don't really know what the point of like giving them basketballs is like, like, I mean, I guess they can do ball handling drills. I guess you could do or work on some like passing drills off the wall. If you're not living in like a back to back apartment kind of place. But like you said, like Matisse lives in a high rise. He can't be dribbling basketballs for hours a day. That's going to piss his neighbors off. He I'm glad you brought up Matisse because <laughs> I have a hot take and, and okay. I'm not usually full with hot takes, but I dislike Matisse thought, I don't want to say dislike, actually. I think I like Matisse Thibel a little less after this quarantine because of his TikTok phase. You don't like TikTok? <laughs> I, I don't have TikTok, and I, I kind of grew up with Vine, I guess, and yeah. Vine was less cringe than TikTok because you had less time to get your point across and do stupid things on the internet. It was only six seconds, and I don't even know what the time limits on TikToks are, but I have a gripe. With Twitter, uh, as much as I love Twitter, the people on Twitter infuriate me, and oh it's God, mostly Philadelphia 76ers and Philadelphia Eagles fans, which is, of course, over ninety five percent of my following. Did you uh did you did you see uh Jackson Frank's tweet today about no DPIPM? No, but I, I he's been flooding my timeline with those of late. Yeah, it was like it was like Ben Simmons isn't as good of a defender as we think he is. And then he used DPIPM as like his one as like the one stat along with like defensive rating for the Sixers overall to justify it. And I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, first of all, I respect Jackson Frank's work. I don't, I don't want like, uh, like, I'm sure they won't ever see this, but like Sixers Adam or any of the guys that like, you know, come like bombard me and like and like castrate me. I, I, I respect Jackson's work. I think he does a good job. But it was just like, stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room with one or two stats, like. Like those stats are clearly not adequate representations of what of what reality is. That same DPIPM stat has like Shaq Harrison or or Shaq I, I forget who um, um, as like a better defender than Kawhi and somebody else. So I mean, like clearly it's 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 a flawed stat, and here we are trying to like use it to justify like a contrarian take about Ben Simmons. Yeah, the the good thing about stats for people like Jackson and myself is that you can manipulate stats any way you'd like. Yeah. In 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 our world where we're trying to get engagement on Twitter and we're trying to get likes, the more popular thing to do would be throw a hot take out there. If you can couple that with statistics that support your hot take, you're golden because you're going to get engagement. You'll get people clicking on your page, following you, new followers. People are going to comment. They'll like, they'll spread it. I admittedly manipulated stats all throughout the season because that's what I needed to do. So for instance, if 
Furkan Korkmaz has a fantastic week, and he propels himself in a top five in defensive rating. Well, I'm going to see that, and I'm going to say, here's something I can look at, and how can I put another turn on it? How can I manipulate this even further so the people I want to engage with me like this tweet and want to interact with it? So I take Furkan Korkmaz top five in defensive rating, and then I look at something else, and okay, here, they played the Clippers and they played the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard shot 0 of 2 against Furkan Korkmaz. LeBron James shot 0 of 2 against Furkan Korkmaz. Then I can say, well, here, look. LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard shot 0% against Furkan Korkmaz on at least four attempts, and he's top five in defensive rating in this month. And the month could have only been three games played. Well, I just spun a tweet that I completely manipulated that's going to get engagement. And that's the thing. As much as I love the analytics, I don't even think most of people that interact on Twitter know what that statistic is that you would use to manipulate that narrative against Ben Simmons. And I don't understand that either, because if you watch him play defense, he's an elite defender. Statistically, if you don't look at analytics and you look at the steals, the deflections, his impact on the team defense, he's an elite defender. And the census opinion from people that watch basketball and analyze basketball is that he's an elite defender. So I think it was a little bit of a reach. Um, That's not exactly for me to say. And I kind of lost my train of thought. But the, the, the thing with Twitter is I get infuriated when I'm on the app. Eagles, Twitter, Sixers, Twitter alike. The fans ate Matisse Stiebel's TikToks up, and they thought it was the most adorable thing on the planet. And it just enraged me. Like, I'm 20 years old. Matisse is 22, 23, however you'll – whatever his age is. And you've got these people, 27 years old on Twitter, 25 years old, perpetuating this nar- – not even a narrative. They're just spreading this hysteria that Matisse Thibel is adorable. Look how cute and quirky he is in these TikToks. Look at his dimples. Look at how cute he is in his apartment, his jersey. Shut up. Go go start a family. Stop following Matisse Thibel's life on TikTok. <laughs> and, that, and, and that really caused me to have a gripe with, with not only Twitter, but Thibel. Because I think Matisse played into it a little bit too. And I started to to like him a little bit less than I did. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I actually, I, I did like TikTok for like a week. And then, especially like, because, you know, now, now that we're like in an economic like roller coaster <laughs> of, of, of every day, my job is a little, some days a little more active, maybe a little less active because people aren't buying or selling as much. They're sort of sitting there not knowing what to do. And when you don't know what to do in finance, you sort of, I guess the impulse to buy goes away and you can become kind of defensive about your money. So recently in this, with this quarantine, uh, things have been quiet on the phones uh, during the day. So it would be like you get a call and you'd have like – you'd solve that issue in like 10 minutes at most. And then 30 minutes later, you get another call. So for, a, for, like, for like a week, TikTok was like making my mornings go by because it was like not, a, not, not that many calls. I could fly through TikToks and then you know it would be, it would be the, um, the afternoon and then things would speed up a little bit around market close. And then after that, it was you're you're pretty, you're pretty much off for the day after that because after the market closes, people aren't going to have too much substantial um, you know issue that, that that at least that I could handle. Then, now, but now that I got promoted, that's changed because now I'm, I'm handling more uh, sophisticated matters that are that are more prevalent throughout the day. Anyway, congratulations um, by the way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's been 
crazy first week on a, on a new job, but uh, we're, we're, we're learning fast, that's for sure. Um, but uh, TikTok got me through that a little bit. But now I'm like back to Twitter. TikTok killing my battery. It's the, 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 the videos are annoying. Um, not annoying, but they're just like, after a while, it's how much of the, the same shit can you see over and over again before right. you're like, this is basically just a spinoff of something I've seen already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just sort of tired of it after a while. Um, and now what I'm doing is when I'm, when I have downtime during the day, I, I do, I watch some game film of college players, get some scouting in. I, I post YouTube, I post clips from YouTube. Um, whenever I find something interesting about a player or something that's, that's worth documenting, and I use that for my, for my write-ups later on. Now my dad's using my dual screen. So I only have one screen to go off of, which makes my life a little bit more difficult. But, uh, we, you know, it, we, we, we persevere, we make lemonade from lemons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, Anyway, back to the press conference. We got off we got off topic a little bit there. Um, so yeah, I thought, that, I thought that was interesting that that they said that they were gonna like buy that they bought the equipment for everybody because I mean that's gonna be a hefty bill and you don't know you know like how like how do you know that it won't be solved in a month and then suddenly it's like um, you know you spend all that money for 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 a month's worth of use. But I mean I get it. I understand. I respect it. Um, what what was your big takeaway? And that wasn't my big takeaway, but I just wanted to get your big takeaway first. Well, my first big takeaway was Ben Simmons' health and the deflection of answering that question. And I think this situation kind of dictates how Elton Brand approaches this situation. And it's, it's really difficult to give a clear answer because Elton Brand doesn't even have that answer. And he's on the committee with Adam Silver trying to get players back up to speed. But with regard to health, I thought the Ben Simmons statement was kind of my takeaway. And he said that Ben could kind of be caught up to speed in play. That's something only time will tell. Uh, but my question to that is, first, if the NBA were to resume, what does the game plan look like to bring every player back up to speed? Right. Because I know they were initially proposing, I think, a 25-day training camp sort of thing what period of time is that going to look like to catch players back up to speed and second you've got guys like Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons who are potentially going to make their return to the NBA court if the season does resume but for Ben Simmons what will that look like is is he comfortable with returning how has his rehab been going I know Elton Brand said that Simmons has been doing everything he can he's been communicating with the organization and They've been trying to provide him with resources as best they can. So I, I was just really curious as to know what that rehabilitation is looking like, what he's doing to improve his back, maybe what the team is offering him, how he feels about this situation, if he'd like to return. There's a lot of question marks. And with regard to Joel Embiid's health, uh, Elton Brand sounded a lot more optimistic. He said he'd be ramped up and he's also taking care of his conditioning. And I trust that's the truth. But I, I was just really confused about the situation with taking players back up to speed because for Ben Simmons, there hasn't been any interaction between him and his teammates, I assume. So it's not like he's been cleared to do one-on-one drills or three-on-three drills or even run fives up to speed. So if there is a 25-day training camp, how is Ben Simmons integrated and what does that look like when the season resumes? Yeah, I think with Ben Simmons, the fact that it wasn't like the fact that a he's basically been, I guess, nursing his back for what two 
two months now. Yeah, I believe it's two months. months, Yeah. Um, And Elton Brand wasn't like clear cut. Yes, he's good to go. That tells me it's something much deeper than just your than just just a um, a nerving thing. That that means that there there is something there, and then if the season resumes, they will try to work around it. But for the time being, there is a, a much not not sinister problem, but a, a, a much uh, deeper issue at hand than, than what they scratch the surface with. That's just that's just my feeling of it because sixty days for a nerve impingement just doesn't sound right. If it, if it wasn't something deeper, um, that's just me. My my biggest takeaway was I thought it was interesting that he said that they've been having FaceTimes with Rep Brown every day. Um, I you know I I, I do think that. They are planning as if Brett Brown won't be back next year, and I do think that um, there's not much that really anybody can do to save his job. Um, and so I gotta wonder, like, like what could you possibly be talking about <laughs> with these Facetimes every day? Like, <laughs> Brett and his disciples. <laughs> well, I, I I think Elton did say that he's been talking to Brett and his staff about playing the, the Boston Celtics, right? Right. Right. I'm but, I'm just I don't know what job security entails for anybody in this landscape nah, because we really we really can't predict the future with what's going on right now. So I don't know how this is going to unravel especially with the Philadelphia 76ers. It's like if this season doesn't resume and the season eventually picks up in 2021, what happens with the roster? Do they take this season as a learning curve and kind of reconstruct? What's the salary going to look like? Then you have the draft and you have to prepare for that. And and of course they lose a integral mind in, in the draft process to the Chicago Bulls. So there's a lot of question marks, but Brett Brown is atop that list for me. And I spent an entire season trying to get this man fired. And I don't know what his job security is like now. I, I have this strong suspicion that he doesn't get fired a mid-next season. I think he's going to be fired no matter what. That's, that, I mean, that's pretty much the way I feel about it. Um, I would be shocked if he's back. I don't even think he wants to be back at this point because why would you want to be back when there's clearly this much animosity towards you from the people working above you. Like the fact that you had to have somebody save your job would be enough for me to be like, eh, maybe it's, maybe it's like not worth it. Maybe I should just go the separate ways because you're already in a situation where you're not wanted anymore. And that's a, that's an incredibly awkward and painful environment to, to, to work in. And it might be better off just cutting your losses and going a different way. Um, I, I, I don't think he's back next year no matter what. I, I, well, I mean, unless they come back and they win a title or they get to the conference finals or the finals, then maybe. Well, certainly if they win the finals, but if, uh, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty magnificent if right there. Um, assuming things play out the way that ex- expected, if there's being no season or they have a playoffs and they lose early on, I don't think there's any way right around the back next year. Um, but I do, I do. I will say this: I do like the prospect of playing the Boston Celtics in the first round because they're they are they are the one team you've beaten away from home, the one playoff team in the East you've beaten away from home, um, and they 
you're, you're three and one against them this year. You beat them without Embiid. Uh, you have. Did they beat them without Ben Simmons once, or did I just make that up? I think they made, I think I made that up. They beat them without Embiid. Um, and I, I think that it's just a whole different dimension of the game, the way that the Boston Celtics match up with you, with Embiid and Horford and Richardson going up against like Kyrie, going against uh, Kemba and Cantor and whoever else you want to match up with there. Um, I think it's different than having you know Kyrie and, and, and Al there. Uh, especially, um, but I I would be very intrigued because like I think that I think Ben Simmons basically neutralizes Jason Tatum, and then you know ha, ha, who, who's going to match up with Embiid? Who's going to you know who, who do you put Horford Cor- on? How does Josh Richardson fit in that plan? Oh, and then that doesn't account for the fact that you now have. Um, this is going to count for the fact that you have Glenn Robinson the third or Alec Burke. So a bunch of moving pieces there that I think make the matchup very interesting for the Sixers. Yeah, so to piggyback your point, I went back and watched a lot of Boston and Miami today. And the thing I noticed about Boston is that they run a really prominent two-man game. And yeah. when Jason Tatum has the ball and he brings it up past half court, he's usually involved in a pick and roll with Daniel Tice. And the other three players on the floor are standing in position to catch and shoot. But there's very little off-ball movement between those three. It's a two-man game. If Jason Tatum doesn't get an open shot, then he'll kick. But very rarely is it anything other than a two-man game. If Kemba Walker has the ball bringing it up or Marcus Smart, they try to hunt these mismatches and get these quick, shifty guards that could create their own shot and match them against bigs. So DeMontis Sabonis will get eaten up in the pick and roll against Boston. I watched the Indiana game. But the thing with Philadelphia is Ben Simmons versus Jason Tatum, they've played eight times since 2018, over 130 possessions. Tatum has under 30 points altogether in those eight games combined. And it comes out to an average of 3.3 points per game against Simmons. And I believe he's shooting less than 45%. It might be below 40%, but I can't recall off the top of my head. Now, in a two-man game situation where Embiid would be pulled out with Tice and Ben Simmons would be the primary defender on Jason Tatum, I think the Sixers could be very comfortable defensively with that if Embiid switches on to Tatum and vice versa if Ben Simmons is staying on Tatum through the pick and roll, he fights for the screen, I think the Sixers have no problems defensively. And you alluded to the point that who is Al Horford guarding I mean, this is a big power forward playing the four position, probably a true center, and now he's stepping out on the perimeter guarding somebody there. So I think Philadelphia has the size advantage in Boston, and I think they'd win that series pretty easily. Now, when I watched Miami, and I was able to shed this Philadelphia bias from watching them all season, I'm not so sure that Philadelphia would beat Miami. And I say that because Miami does run a pretty good two-man game, But when the two-man game doesn't work, they have a lot of off-ball movement. They have guys cutting to the basket. There's guys going baseline. There's backdoor guys. But a heavy component of Miami's offense is the dribble handoff. And problematic for the Philadelphia 76ers, Miami has a lot of shooters, and they have a lot of reinforcements. So on any given night, Kendrick Nunn can catch fire from beyond the arc. Kelly Olynyk can catch fire from out there. 
And that's without even mentioning Duncan Robinson. And Duncan Robinson had games this season where he posted 25-plus points and took less than 10 dribbles. So if they utilize these three-point shooters off DHOs and they get guys moving back door and cutting frequently and they're constantly scoring and defending off the bench, I think Philadelphia has a nightmare matchup with Miami. And if you marry that with the fact that Miami's got a couple of personalities that don't really resonate with Philadelphia in maybe a Myers Leonard or a Jimmy Butler, uh, I think the series gets chippy. If it goes to Miami, I don't know if Philadelphia wins, especially with the road struggles this season. So I really was less encouraged about Philadelphia beating Miami and watching the Heat today. But I do think the Sixers would have handled that Boston series pretty swiftly. And of course, this all remains to be seen. But if the season does resume and the Sixers have a first round matchup against Boston, I don't think there's any way Brett Brown could get in the way of that matchup. I, I hold firm on my opinion the Sixers win that series. So I don't think anything's going to be swiftly in favor of the Sixers. I think that they're going to have to win a game on the road, no matter what, no matter who they play. Um, but but I, I think they would fare much better against the Celtics. I don't know. That they, I, I'm not sure. I don't know for a fact that they would win a series against the Celtics, but I think that they would. If I, had the, if I had the pick, I'd say the Sixers win that series in six. Um, with the Heat, you you are right. Um, as much as I don't respect Jimmy Butler for you know his his antics and then the way that he says he wants to win and then he goes to Miami, which isn't close to winning as much as they might think they are, um, I will I, I do have to admit that that a lot of the players on their team have made their have made the team's overall success possible by playing well above any expectations that you ever had. I mean, Duncan Robinson's been phenomenal. Kendrick Nunn's been phenomenal. Tyler Hero's been pretty good. Bam Adebayo has been phenomenal. Um, and I think Bam Adebayo could be a, a problem for the Sixers because I think the way that he's so scrappy and the way he just fights and claws and is bouncy and he, and he can he could tire and beat out in a series like that where Embiid's constantly having to fight and box him out, constantly having to post him up. And it, you know that, that, that could where it could be a little different. I mean, I think he would eat um, a guy like um, – um, Daniel Tice alive. He would eat Tice, just just kill him. Um, but Adebayo would pose a, a much different, um, um, a much different threat and issue for the Sixers, and then beat. And then you obviously, like you said, they have the they're they're a very, um, I guess organized militant group in terms of how they defend and how they cut off ball. That they they have good habits, and I think that would be a much harder series. I wouldn't put it out of the question for the Sixers to win that series. Um, but, I mean, I think it's going to go six or seven. And if it goes seven, oh, my God. <laughs> what, 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 a, what a world it would be if we got, the, we, got, we got the murder hornets, we got COVID, and we got the Sixers in the heat playing a seven-game series with, with, with Jimmy Butler. I mean, that would, that would be something, man. That would be something right there. Um, any more takeaways from, from, from the press conference before we hop into the bracket? Yeah, I wanted to propose a question. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this on the fly. It might be a little difficult, but the 76ers were having happy hour uh, Zoom meetings <laughs> where they were getting together. They were probably drinking, having a ball. I wanted to propose the question to you. If you could have a Zoom meeting with one player, 
a happy hour Zoom meeting with one player, past or present. They could be retired. They could be playing. They could be dead or alive. Who would the player be? Had to be a sixer. And why? Any player. It's tough on the fly. I don't even have my complete so answer I think, yet. I mean, Steph Curry is my favorite player, so I think that would be certainly in the running. Um, one name that comes to mind for me would be Nick Young. I think that would be a really funny happy hour. Um, <laughs> Nick Young. But I mean, there, I mean, it depends like what the conversation would be like. Like, like, am I? Tr- I don't know if I'd be trying to go in there and like learn more about the game from an NBA player perspective. If I was, it might be like J.J. Redick. Um, if I'm just trying to have a good time, it might be Nick Young. If if I'm trying to just like sit there and be starstruck, it might be like Embiid, Simmons, or um, or Steph. Okay. A lot of factors. Now, How about you? I wanted to pick DeMarcus Cousins because that's my favorite basketball player I'd ever step foot in a basketball court, but I'm not sure how that conversation would go. I don't really know what a happy hour with DeMarcus Cousins would entail. I I was trying to think of personalities that are really outgoing and welcoming. Uh, Magic Johnson came to mind. He's the type of bubbly personality that I'm sure you could sit in a Zoom meeting with for an hour and you look at the clock and you don't even realize you've been there for an hour. The time probably just flies. Uh, Kobe Bryant, of course, being one of the greatest basketball players of all time and one of my all-time favorites. I think I'd, I'd love to learn more about basketball from his perspective and, and his take on certain players and basketball movements and things of that sort. But honestly, I I, I might – it's a tough question to answer. You, I might go with Joel Embiid at the end of the day. <laughs> I think he'd be fun. I, I, you're right. I don't have the answer for it either, but I, I think maybe Joel Embiid, um, Kobe Magic, a couple of good names that come to mind, but it's it's really an open-ended answer. I change my mind the more I think about <laughs> it. it. It's a very tough question. Uh, good thing you can have multiple, multiple people in a Zoom conference, though. Um, now, let me... Yeah. Let me let me ask you this before we get into the, to the um, the bracket for it. It just, just came to mind. Rashad Phillips, sure. a um, I guess I, I I don't know what he does. And I, I know he was like a former player, um, and now he's just sort of like a a scout or like some kind of personality in the basketball world. He reported this past weekend that Toronto is trying to is trying to acquire the, the a pick that would get them in the range of getting uh, Lamelo Ball. And they would do so trying to make a deal that would involve the Sixers sending Joel, uh, not saying Joel, saying Ben Simmons to the Golden State Warriors. Warriors shipping their first round pick in this draft to Toronto. And then Toronto shipping Kyle Lowry and Co., whatever that means, to the Sixers. What would you have to include in the and Co. portion of that? package to to consider moving Ben Simmons I think there's a couple of logical answers here I would say that I would just personally uh, think that Toronto would have to include Pascal Siakam but the likelihood of that trade in my opinion is sub-zero I I I don't think that's a plausible trade that Toronto or Philadelphia would like to engage in there's a couple of guys like Norman Powell or OG Ananobi that Toronto has that were provide, providing 
great contributions for the Raptors. But at the end of the day, people were so furious about splitting up Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and that the national media is always creating this narrative that the two can't coexist. And all these trade rumors arise and people start talking about who you trade Ben Simmons for. At the end of the day, I think there's only about eight to 10 players in the NBA that I personally would trade Ben Simmons for. So that means giving me company with Kyle Lowry doesn't sweeten any deal. And this is a Kyle Lowry that I think has one more year left on his contract. He's aging. In terms of his leadership and his facilitating, I think he's among some of the best point guards in the NBA. But at the same time, you're not selling me on Kyle Lowry's potential. We've seen his ceiling already. And I don't see why Philadelphia would want to invest in Kyle Lowry on essentially a one-year rental and whatever the company is and part ways with their cornerstone point guard and Ben Simmons. So to me, I don't know what the validity behind this rumor was, but if you read the article, they called Joel Embiid a power forward, uh, the the 76ers power (laughs) forward, I believe. And I, I don't know what the sources were. And I know certain people are starting to confirm the rumor, but it, it just seems really outlandish to me. There's too many moving parts and too many teams that want to do things. It seems outlandish to me. Uh, but if, if you want my short answer, it would have to be P- Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I mean, I am not doing any deal that doesn't include Pascal Siakam. I would, I would, need, I would need Pascal Siakam and one of um, – I think his name is Terrence Mann, the rookie they have this year. Terrence Mann. Um, Terrence Mann is is on the Clippers. Terrence, uh, Terrence Davis. Davis. I think yeah, I believe zero, it's Terrence I think Davis. Um, him. Yes. And or um, or Norman Powell. So Pascal and one of those two would be the starting point for me. Um, With Kyle Lowry, right? Yes. Sure. I mean, I'm not. I don't love the fit of Kyle Lowry on this team with this roster. I think you'd be a much more interesting fit if you had like, if you had re-signed Jimmy, re-signed JJ, um, and then you maybe, you know, brought in Al instead of bringing back Tobias. Then you'd have like Kyle, JJ, Jimmy, Al, Embiid. Then that would be a very very intriguing group in my eyes because you have a couple pit bulls there, a couple tough defenders. Um, a bunch of guys who could shoot the ball from the outside. It would be, it would certainly make for an interesting dynamic, I think. Um, and that would probably be my favorite to win the East. If, if, if you, if you had, if you had made that deal then. But I also think like you don't, you're not, you're not letting Jimmy walk and then extending Ben Simmons. If you plan on trading Ben Simmons in a year anyway. So I, I mean, so I, I just exactly. don't think it's valid. I just wanted to get your take on it. Um, I certainly don't see it happen. If it does happen, Elton Brand got a lot of explaining to do because that, that would does. be a ridiculous and trade. Another thing I think people aren't really considering is that who won the championship since the Raptors won? Right. Nobody. So the Toronto Raptors, as of today, as of yesterday, as of tomorrow, are the defending NBA champions. The title is in the Toronto Raptors' name. It's up to the other 29 teams in the NBA to dethrone them or or 30 plus, whatever. So 
until a team dethrones the Raptors, they're defending the NBA title. Why would the Toronto Raptors, who just won that, and are creating this this team with budding superstars, Norman Powell, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, he was averaging over 30 points per game after the All-Star break for weeks. He was shooting over 50% from the field. OG Ananobi, they're creating this core of players a year after they win the championship, part ways with Kyle Lowry and company. And mind you, Kyle Lowry is a player who both he and the organization have reciprocated loyalty with one another. I just don't understand the trade from Toronto's perspective, and I surely don't from Philadelphia's perspective. And did I see that that Simmons would potentially go to Golden State in that yeah. same rumor? Yeah, Wasn't yeah. he rumored to go to Golden State as well? Yeah, so there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of teams that want to do a lot of things. So when I saw that rumor, I honestly, I didn't even pay it any money. I got to say, the idea of Ben Simmons and Golden State is just so perfect to me. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. Like, That would be a frightening team. That would be so team. much fun to watch them. It's just like, like, like you have these two snipers. You have, uh, I guess you'd have Wiggins. Um, you'd have Draymond and you'd have... Uh, ben Simmons and everyone just passing the ball. There's everyone's get, Ben Simmons running a tra- pushing transition with Clay and Steph would be an absolute nightmare. He could play the five. He it could be, be their insane. center. Shane, I, I would, I would, I would but love I to just, see that. That'd be awesome. Just for like one day. I don't know how you'd, I don't know how you'd maintain that four and also acquire Simmons. That's why the Golden State trade rumors don't make any yeah. sense to me either yeah. because the Sixers aren't. Flipping for for Draymond and I I I don't think the Warriors of course trade Steph Curry or Clay so I don't know how Golden State <laughs> gets Ben Simmons but I guess this is the Sixers are the Salvation yeah. Army nah, apparently definitely. they're they're the gift definitely. that keeps giving um, we have more important business to tend to tonight even though we are forty four minutes into the pod um, we we do have to do my part of, my my part of the bracket still um, we have a couple of matchups to discuss we have first we have. Andre Iguodala versus Hollis Thompson. We have Evan Turner versus Tony Roten. Kyle Korver versus Andres Nocioni. Dario Saric versus Jason Richardson. So that's your one through eight on one side. On the other side, one through uh, one and eight, Andre Miller versus Danielle Marshall. Jody Meeks versus Jason Smith. Three through six is Jason Capono versus Nick Stauskas. Isaiah Cannon versus Ersan Ilyasova. Brock, um, is there is there a compelling argument to be made for Hollis Thompson over Andre Iguodala? No. When when you read that, I was going to yell at you to take the right answer here. Don't get edgy. Don't do too much on me. Pick the right answer here. I will say here. this. I will say this. Hollis Thompson was not a shooter at Georgetown. And he became like a 40% three-point shooter out of nowhere in the NBA. Like, he wasn't supposed to be the three-point shooter in the roster. He ended up being the sniper. Um, he had a couple of, like, really tough buckets that ended up being clutch makes for him. Um, so, you know, I, I, I did like Hollis. I was sad when they cut him in 2016-17. I thought he was maybe one of the ones worth taking an extra look at. Um, but... Andre Iguodala, obviously, in the end, is going to advance to the next round. Um, he is going to move to the Elite Eight of my side of the bracket, Andre Iguodala. Um, I would say one of the more underrated Sixers of all time. 
of all time. Wow. I mean, okay. think about it. Like, he was hated because he was not thriving in a situation where he wasn't meant to thrive. He was being forced to be an, a star when he's just not a star level player. Um, and you know, he made some clutch baskets in his career, but he was just never really going. He was never the, the player to be a star. He was always meant to be that like third or fourth option for you. Secondary, right? So I. I think time has time has done him well, though, and a lot of fans have changed their minds about him, and, and he definitely solidified his legacy. Uh, does he end up in the Hall of Fame, though? That's a great question. I think he does. I don't okay. think he should be a Hall. I don't That's think he a, should be a Hall of Famer, but I think that there are people in the Hall of Fame who have lesser resumes or maybe equal resumes to his, and if they and if you let them in, you got to also let him in. That's sort of where I stand with it. With the whole Warriors dynasty, I, I can definitely see that happening. I don't think he does make the Hall of Fame, but I, I think the fact that they accomplished what they did in such short time, it, it definitely boosts his resume. And the fact that they were able to achieve what they did probably helps yeah. his case. Next we have Evan Turner versus Tony Roden. Um, now, I, I personally, I don't think this is as cut and dry easy as as you might think it is. I would actually argue that Evan uh, that Tony Roten should be the one to advance here, not Evan Turner. Um, Tony Roten, why? While, while Evan Turner certainly had a bigger role on the team, had a longer had a longer life on the team. Tony Roten was, I think, a guy who I could, who, although he wasn't a very good shooter really at all, um, he was a guy who I think you could apply it into the last three competitive. Sixers teams and you could like carve out a role for him and give him meaningful minutes on on those teams. I think in 2017 he could be he could have been a 2018 he could have been a player, 2019 could have been a player, and this year he could have been a player. Uh and you know re- really thrived off the bench in like you know 15 minutes a game. It's a good point. I I agree with you there and you're going to tell me what all of these players have in common. Derek Favors, DeMarcus Cousins, Gordon Hayward, Paul George, Larry Sanders for a couple of years, Eric Bledsoe, Avery Bradley. What do they all have in common? I have absolutely no idea. All drafted ahead of Tony Roden. Every single one of them was drafted after the second overall pick, oh, Evan right. Turner. That's right. So whoever, whoever was going against Evan Turner in this situation was going to win. I I... I despise Evan Turner. I couldn't stand watching him and his ugly jump shot. So I, I, I'm I'm taking Tony Roten with this call, and I agree. I think the Sixers desperately lacked a backup point card or at least a ball-handling facilitator off the bench for the previous two seasons. And though he didn't have a jump shot, uh, that's a good point. He did contribute in other ways. He was all right defensively. He was a pace pusher, and he was – Great in the open court. He was also so, very good. Uh, I think he was Tony also very Rome good at, at pushing passing lanes and getting a hand in there, creating transition opportunities. Mm-hmm. And although he couldn't shoot, he was a very good creator at the rim. He could he could get to the rim, no problem. Um, he just wasn't making shots. But I think if they had you know, given him some more time to develop, maybe or even increase his role, work with work with some coaches, maybe he could have become something. Evan uh, Evan Turner was just. Ugly ass jump shot. Herb McGee that never fixed anything with him, um, and he was just always that guy who was going to give you eight points one night, twenty four points the next night, 
16 points next night. You just never really knew what you were going to get with him. You knew his voice was going to sound annoying in the post-game press conferences, though. I'll tell you that's that's for sure. <laughs> um, next, we have Kyle Korver versus Andres Nocioni. Um, Nocioni, if you remember, one night, I remember my, 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 my middle school dance against the Chicago Bulls. The Sixers were flying. The Bulls were very good. Sixers were trying to stay alive for the playoffs. And Noach with Iguodala out ends up getting a couple big buckets down the stretch and get a couple stops. Sixers beat the Bulls. That was his big moment um, as a Sixer. Of course, Kyle Korver brought that three-point spunk to the team. He, he brought that um, floor spacing. It's a, it's a shame that they, had, that they traded him uh, before him and AI could really see their peak together. I think that that would have been a very interesting tandem if they had ever gotten the right pieces there, really sort of at, made some moves. Imagine a Kyle Korver, Elton Brand, Andre Iguodala, Allen Iverson core. I don't know what they would have done. That sounds like a pretty <laughs> pretty good core. I don't know what that team would have been capable of. What is that? Is that like an 80, a 47 win team? Yeah. 44 win team? Yeah. I mean, I, it's a shame we never got to see it. It is a shame. Um, so I got to take Dario here. I mean, Kyle here. Would you agree? Dario? Yeah, I agree. Kyle Korver was one of the OG Sixers uh, growing up with him. He earned himself a six-year contract in Philadelphia. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a shooter and wasn't much more than that, but he's had longevity in the NBA even to this day. He is still rostered in the NBA. He's also contributed off the court as a political and, and social rights activist. True. So Kyle Korver most definitely is taking the W here. I will say this. Kyle Korver was a very underrated um, team defender. Not a very good one-on-one, but his his team defense was pretty underspoken, I would say. Understated. Okay. <laughs> could get behind that. <laughs> Um, next we have Dario Sharich and Jason Richardson. What's your fondest Jason Richardson memory? I don't have any. That should tell you. That should tell you who wins this round for me. Dario, as unathletic as he was, and as I guess hot and cold as he was, there was just no more passion and no more, I guess, flair to the Sixers team of 2017-18 than the runner-up rookie of the year, Dario Saric. Dario was, it felt like he hit every meaningful shot that he had to hit in that season. Like, even in the playoffs in Celtics, he was making big baskets down the stretch to, um, to, 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 win, to win, you know, or to keep things close for the Sixers. Yeah, the homie. I, I mean, Dario, in that 2017 season, he, he really earned himself a... a handsome role I mean in 2016 he was playing a lot he played 81 games but in 2017 he started 73 of the 78 almost 30 minutes a game he improved his scoring his rebounding his passing uh Dario was a guy who I I know for a fact Brett loved developing and that's the type of player that Brett has fun with developing because he was he was kind of an under the radar player and he didn't come to Philadelphia right away but when he did he was fun, and, and his personality was what carried him throughout the Philadelphia fan base. So I, I, I did have fun watching Dario. And according to Howard Eskin, he never did come over. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, we have another number one seed, 
Andre Miller versus Danielle Marshall. Um, now, Danielle Marshall, if you didn't know, for a very long period of time, held the record for most three-pointers made in the game with um, I think it was 11, 11 or 12. He did it as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and he was really just – he was the team's stretch four at a time when the stretch four wasn't really a thing. He, um, he was their best three-point shooter when the, in 08, 09, when they took the Magic to six games in the first round. Um, and he was the one who made a lot of big shots for them down the stretch in that series and in that season. Um, I don't think he played in the NBA following that year. That was his last year, I believe. Um, but a, a very under-the-radar uh, under, under, uh, under player in his career. Andre Miller will always be a favorite for me. I don't know why. It's something about him. Whenever you see Andre Miller, that's the kind of guy who you like. If you have a kid who's a point guard, you point at Andre and you're like, that's who you want to be. Like, steady, not 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 the showiest, not the flashiest, not the superstar, but it's just steady, very good NBA point guard. Um, I think the, the, the effect that he had on the Sixers is sort of understated in that they were 41-41 um, with him in 2008-2009. He goes to the Blazers. You move Lou Williams up to the starting position as a point guard, and really you return a lineup that's or you return a team that's essentially the same, and they go twenty-seven fifty-five. So that just tells you the difference that Andre Miller made in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. That's that's especially to be expected of a seventeen-year veteran. And you make a good point when you look at the pioneer point guards he was most definitely one of them for that generation he was drafted in 1999 I believe and he was involved in that Allen Iverson trade which sent AI to the Nuggets but Andre Miller he had some awesome contributions in Philadelphia I'm reading some of the numbers which I was really blinded by I I had no idea Miller was this impactful as a 76er honestly but in 2006 he was fourth in the NBA in assist total uh, seventh in assists per game, and he was top 20 in the league in steals per game. 15th in assist to turnover ratio. So he protected the basketball and he defended well. The team won when he played 17 and 8 when he scored 15 plus points that year. That's all I got to say. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Um, next, we have Jody Meeks and Jason Smith. Jason Smith was never really much. Um, he was, and, and he was, you know, a. He was injured for a lot of his rookie year. I think he was sort of was a marginal role player. He was traded after 9 10. Um, and then Jody Meeks was, while he was frustrating at times, he was an he was an un, he was a he was a defender who was much better than people gave him credit for. Very sticky on the ball. Um, didn't have much of a game outside of his shooting, but he could but he, he could light it up from downtown. I mean, he had a seven three quarter against the Charlotte Bobcats. I was actually at that game sitting courtside. I got on TV. That was pretty cool. Um, Big baller. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, of course, the last year of Doug Collins' tenure, um, they or the second to last year of Doug Collins' tenure, Meeks faded in the playoffs. He really didn't play at all. That was sort of his, the end of his sixer career. Um, but just a very prominent role player for those two years after the um, – uh, you know those those first two years of Doug Collins' tenure, Meeks played a big role in the on both those teams. So we're going to give it to, to Jody Meeks there. Good decision there. I I co-sign that one. <laughs> Next we have two all-time great shooters. We have Jason Capono 
and we have Nick Stauskas. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Capono might have been just about the worst sixer I've ever seen. He couldn't defend worth dick. He never made important <laughs> shots. He was he was he was horrible at at making important shots, um, and he was just a guy who you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna toss this forty five percent career three point shooter onto the team and make him fit in. Um, he never retained his Miami form. He was a he was a multi time three point contest champion, uh, a member of the Heat, member of the the Raptors, and then as soon as he came to Sixer, he just kind of shit the bed, and that was that. Um, I think he had like one game where he had over 20 points and that was it. Um, but I, I was expecting big things out of him. He was traded to the Sixers for Reggie Evans in the, in this off season following the 08, 09 season. If you, if you probably don't recall this, but they shot below 30% from three in the 08, 09 season. So, for the whole season. Yes. Oh Lord. And, that must've been brutal. And now you think about it. Like if you shot under 30% from three, in this day and age, you'd probably finish the season ten games under five hundred. You'd be cooked. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I thought Jason Capone was going to be a big piece. He never was a big piece. Um, and so, and Nick Stauskas wasn't either, to his credit, but or to his discredit, I should say. But he was a lot more fun and flashy than than Capone was. He had a couple of nice shots in his Sixers tenure. He had that nasty crossover and dunk. Remember that dunk? Mm-hmm. That that was a, that was a wild play. He um, got up. Kudos to the to, to the to the Kings for remaining Kings and giving up a first round pick in addition to Capono or in addition in addition to Thalcus for Carl Landry. That's an that's an all time Kings trade. Um, yeah. <laughs> lastly, we have two legends, Isaiah Cannon versus Ersan Ilyasova. Ooh, that's tough. That's tougher than it should be. That's the fan in me, though. Oh, I don't know. I think I love Ursan. I did love Ursan. I thought he was very productive in his, I guess, combined one season as a Sixer. Um, he was big in their playoff run two years ago. He was like a really, he was a really, really good veteran on that team uh, the year before, before he, before he got traded to the Hawks. Um, but Isaiah Cannon, I mean, man, what a guy. Isaiah was just an ultimate bomber. I mean, I remember getting him in that trade with Houston, and I was like, okay, I can rock with Isaiah Cannon. I'm a fan of Isaiah Cannon. I can do this. And he was just – as small as he was, he was tough, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Who would you go with here? I think Ilya Sova is the correct answer in terms of impact on the Philadelphia 76ers team. But the fan in me wants to go cannon. And I do have, uh, I guess, sort of a bias for the process era Sixers because that's when I first started watching the Philadelphia 76ers as closely as I do. Uh, I would go with cannon just because of my bias. He's, he's the upset pick I would take on your side of the bracket. Uh, that's because I think Ilyasova is the correct answer there, though. Well, the, well, the, well, the Tony Roten pick was the upset pick. <laughs> okay. Um I am going to go – well, I also have Isaac Cannon seated higher than Ersan. Um, I'm going to go with Ersan Ilyasov. I thought he played a bigger role and, and I guess was a bigger contributor to winning, even though there's not much more that Isaiah could have done. What's your fondest memory of Isaiah Cannon? 
Um, there was a game I think the Sixers lost in. I don't remember who they played. When Isaiah Cannon, I'm pretty sure he had seven or eight threes that game. He was he was lights okay, out from see? deep. It, yeah, it was OKC. They lost to OKC. It like, was an overtime. They were up by like 15 in the first quarter, and then they lost. Like, yeah. Yeah. They lost an OT, but I think Cannon had seven or eight threes in that game. My fun memory is the, is the four-point play against Golden State in Philly the last minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, they, were, they were down, and then he ties it up. Of course, uh, Harrison Barnes, the one three he makes in his, in his life, ends up being the game winner um, in, in that game. But um, I'm going to go with Ursan. Ursan moves on. So next week we will have um, another round of this, and we'll talk about anything, any, any, new, any new developments. And before we wrap it up, Brock, um, I do want to discuss how you feel about the um, this, like like what like whatever a realistic turn to play looks like from from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I gotta say, I just I don't think there's a way that they can safely return to play. Um, I I just don't think it's feasible for this year, like. You're gonna to have to get every player tested, if not tested at temperatures daily. You're gonna to have to make sure that all of the arena workers are safe, all the coaches are safe, no fans. Um, I just don't see how a way that this that this is gonna return. This season definitely won't return to normal. Um, I don't think next season is gonna be normal either. I don't think they're gonna be able to have fans in the arena next season. Interesting. Um, I. I... I feel the same way as you with regards to this season. I don't think this season concludes as unfortunate as it is. If there's not mass testing available and on an almost daily basis, I don't see how the players alone would want to do this, but how the league alone would let them. Uh, At the end of the day, the NBA is a business, but in a time like this, people are putting the business aspect aside and prioritizing the human aspect. So there's a lot of things that have to be checked off correctly for the NBA to return this season. First and foremost, of course, no fans, which is devastating to think about both for viewing pleasure, but also for the players. Uh, Unfortunately, that would be the reality, but there would be no fans. Then, like I said, mass testing has to be possible, which at this moment, I'm not sure if it is. And then there's going to be travel across state lines and, Despite states reopening, then you have to factor in certain players might not want to travel. And and although they may not have a say, uh, they probably don't want to put their family at risk. There's players that have been directly affected by the COVID-19 that that may have ill will towards this virus and they may not want to play. Uh, You have to think about so many things. Like you said, the staff, you have to think about pay. There's just there, there's so many factors that I, I don't think can be overcome in, in this short period of time. So I think the NBA kind of loses this season, and I'm not sure what they do with regards to awards. Um, I, I don't think you crown a finals winner. I'm not sure who wins the MVP, stuff like that. Um, and and I, I don't know what it would look like for next year. I can't say if next year is going to be affected or not. But I, I also don't really think there will be an NFL season. Or if there is, I think it's going to be greatly impacted. It'll be either extended in, in terms of when the season starts, uh, what it'll look like with fans there, the testing. I really don't know. But my opinion is that if 
it's not 100 safe, 100% safe to play. There's no point in playing. And I, I think a lot of people are complaining that they need sports. They have an itch to watch. Uh, but you kind of have to deal with that until this gets dealt with. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think we're just so far away from being able to play um, any kind of live basketball game or any kind of live sporting event. Um, I, I tend to think the NFL will be able to start on time. I, I don't think we're going to have fans in arenas until 21 or maybe even beyond. I, like, you may not see fans in arenas not next season but the following season. They might be back in. Um, I so, someone like I, I. It just it's just so weird, man. It just it's just so fucking weird how this whole it is. All, all it takes is one player getting it too. So if you do resume the NBA season or if you do play the NFL season on time, what happens when one player gets it? Do they all have to quarantine and we have to go through this entire process again? Right. And I do think it's interesting because I think we're going to – I think that the true best team will win because the true best team is the team that performs whether fans are there regardless. So, I mean, I think, I think it's going to – it's going to both benefit and hurt the Sixers if there's no fans there. I also think that if there were to be a season to return, um, the Sixers would be one of the teams to benefit the most from it in terms of health um, – you know, time off. I think it would be a very interesting task for opponents to to, to, to play the Sixers. Um, but for now, he is Brock Landis. Um, Brock, have you had any beer lately? No, sir. But if I did, and and I had a certain tool to enhance my experience, I'm sure I'd give it a try. Well, my birthday is in December, so maybe I could I could get a gift from my co-host before then. <laughs> well. If you like shotgunning beer and you want to increase your shotgun at parties, check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes a perfect shotgunning hole under a second. Also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. Um, for information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code PESTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. Um, Brock, any parting shots for the listeners? Everyone stay safe, and I i don't know. There's really not much else to say. If you got any comedy, stand-up comedy <laughs> recommendations, let me know. We also do have one one more item. The, I, the, the, the anniversary of the Iverson press conference was today. Do you have any memory of that press conference? Yes. Uh, well, given that I was, I think, two years old, absolutely not. Um, but it was, it was, it was definitely something I like to look back on and laugh at when I watch the highlights from it. It really is just a pr- ridiculous press conference, isn't it? It's just wild what he says in that. It's hilarious. He's like, yeah. "How the hell am I going to make my teammates better by practicing?" And that was the. <laughs> I heard that today. I was geeking in my car. Oh man, that was just good. That was so good. I mean, it's true. The dude, the dude would go out and, and club and go to the casinos and spend all this money, and then he'd just show up and give dudes fifty bombs. And he was, in my opinion, uh, under six feet tall. So he was he was a true basketball player. He was a true baller. I'll, I'll tell you this: 
while I disagree with his whole leadership perspective, like I think in season you have to be the leader of your team if you're going to win. You got to set the, the tone, lead by example. But there should be like no one giving him shit after all of the performances he put together. How you know there every every night. I mean, if you're trying to find an issue with Allen Iverson, you're just you're 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 cherry you're cherry picking what you're what you're doing. Um, that's the equivalent to, to using a DPIPM to tell me why Ben Simmons is not good at defense. <laughs> He's Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. As always, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Feed to Embiid. Stay safe, everybody, and have a